0: The question that I like to ask myself all the time that was once asked to me uh, is what would you do if all the jobs paid the same and there's something in your mind and that's your passion.
1: Welcome back to the Exploding Podcast. My name is Teja and I'm so grateful that you are here. I'm genuinely so proud of our incredible community growing across the world in India, UK, Canada, and Philippines. Thank you so much for each and every single one of you coming back every time to learn, execute, and exploit. And those reviews of you in my inbox energizes me to take you deeper and makes me more responsible to find and bring more amazing guests that you love every single time. So getting into today's episode I'm always excited for the guest but I'm especially excited when the guest had a personal impact on me and my learnings. As you already know he is none other than Luis Serrano. Luis is a data scientist, quantum AI, research scientist, an incredible teacher, youtuber and an amazing author. In the past Louis had worked for Apple and Google, where he was on creating and maintaining the YouTube recommendation algorithms. He was a content lead of AI at Udacity as well. He creates and maintains the Serrano.Academy, which aims to make the math and machine learning easy for every single data science aspirant in the world. Before his life into technology, he was a research mathematician and a PhD person from University of Michigan. On top of all of that, he's the author of Grokking Machine Learning. Currently, Louis is a Quantum AI Research Scientist at Zapada Computing. I hope you're as excited as me to move forward. Let's welcome Louis Sabrano. Thank you so much for joining us, Louis. I'm really, really, really excited that you are here.
0: Thank you, Teja. It's an honor to be here. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. I'm very excited too.
1: And there is one more thing that I couldn't resist sharing with our listeners. On another day, I was a mentor and organizer at PyCon India 2019. Someone actually approached me and said, I'm trying to understand the math behind the various machine learning models. What would be your advice to learn them intuitively? I just replied to check them out the machine learning nanodegree taught by Luis Serrano in Udacity. And that's it. He's such an incredible teacher and one of my best teachers in data science. Even if you have a similar question right now, Luis is going to help you to enhance your learning. Thank you so much for making this happen, Luis. It really, really means a lot to me. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation.
0: I'm very excited. To.
1: Yeah. So let's start with the opening question. Uh, you have been through a lot of phases as a student, teacher, data scientist, software engineer, author, and YouTuber. Now we are quantum engineer, right? So I believe there is one among this that made you feel like doing more with a motive energy every single day. What was the one phase in your
2: journey
0: yeah uh definitely i mean they're, they're all very special because they all teach me something different you know researching teach you different skills and teaching that teach you different skills and programming so that's why i like to switch things around to really to really teach myself everything but i mean certainly if i have to pick one it's a uh, teacher mm. the, the the teacher in me is sort of the strongest part of me cool and i really enjoy just just you know breaking things down uh, showing them to students and the process of seeing the students learn and improve and seeing seeing their stories is something that's very inspiring to me.
1: Cool. And you are currently AI research uh, into the quantum computing. So, what is that all about? And what do you, what sort of work you do at Zapata Computing as a quantum research? Sorry, <laughs> quantum AI research scientist.
0: Yeah, that's very interesting stuff. I, my my latest passion is is quantum AI, quantum computing, and quantum AI, and it's 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 very fascinating. Uh, I mean, to make a long story short, uh, regular computers are are just a bunch of switches, right? On-off switches, which uh, have like basically bits bits that can be one or zero. Mm. Uh, but quantum computers uh, are much more than that, right? Because the qubit can take ev- every value from zero to one and actually in many different ways. So it's, it's actually much more complex that, that, than just a superposition between zero and one. Um, and with that, if you make computers with that, I mean, if you make these qubits interact, there's they, they interact with each other. There's uh, things like entanglement, where 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 one one qubit you know influences another one. So you, if if you use that for computing, it can be very powerful, right? Yeah. And th- there are some difficulties, like you can't really observe them. If you if you obs- the, the the qubit has a superposition of of one and zero, but the moment you observe it, it it, it makes a decision and it it goes. It goes as one or zero, so you you lose a lot of information. So you have to before observing them, just manipulate them a lot. So it's 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 very powerful and also uh, has higher levels of you know complexity. Uh, but for AI, it can really help, right? Like sometimes you have you know bottlenecks in a, in in AI, like like in general for algorithms, you can make them much faster uh, using quantum computing and for ai ai is not an exception so you can uh, you can take take existing algorithms and see you know you know the difficulties that they have mm. uh whether it is in speed or in how they look at the data or how for example generating data is much easier well it's not, easier, not much easier but it's doable by by just observing particles right yeah so it it it, it gives a, it it improves ai a lot and what we're figuring out is how so we're looking at many problems existing. My work is consists a lot of looking at existing algorithms in AI and saying, okay, how, how could I make this quantum, right? Yeah. And looking at problems from industry a lot, you know, a, a lot of problems. It's like, okay, there's this difficulty in this algorithm when this company is trying to do this. So let's try to uh, let's try to speed it up with 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 quantum. Mm. So it's been a lot of fun. Awesome. That's actually great.
1: And also, when I gave you uh, multiple phases of your life, just saying it out there, like a student, teacher, data scientist, software engineer, author, quantum engineer, these all. So you got to choose teaching, right? And I got to know just now that you're so passionate about teaching then. Possibly that would be the thing. And when did your passion for teaching started then?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it was always there. I, I always enjoyed explaining. I always enjoyed, you know, breaking things down and, and sort of telling a story. Like, I feel like uh, that's just a nice way to portray things. And I think uh, my, my teaching comes with my, like how slow I am to understand things. I think when I am in lectures, I, I normally get lost, like in high school, university at I'm always just a few steps behind mm-hmm. and, in, and in working and everything. It's always, it's always takes me a while. And the reason is that I, I have to understand things very well. Sometimes people can work with things that they sort of understand them and they start working with them and doing wonders. Um, I, I don't have that skill. I just, I need to understand them very well. So I found myself going over lectures repeatedly in, in university, just, just going over the lectures and 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 really really trying to to understand everything much better uh and and explain it to myself the way a five-year-old won't understand it and then i could do things with it so f- i always thought it was a difficulty right yeah and, and research you know in research it was you know it took me a long time Like people were faster than me but then when i started giving talks and teaching and, and, and during my academic career i realized that that was much easier for me hmm. that i could explain things and 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 my classes went well and my talks went very well. And some of my friends were way faster than me doing research and just, we just taught in high level much better. Uh, They had a hard time explaining. They would explain everything in such, in such high level that nobody would understand. So I always thought, okay, well, I have a, I I, I, I never connected that, that, that my slow thinking was the same as my, as my easiness at explaining. (laughs) (laughs) So when, when those came together, then I, I I really decided like, okay, I'm just, I must always going to be, be teaching
1: yeah 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 possibly <laughs> one good thing that i got to know uh when i was going through your udacity courses when you are instructing the machine learning things so when i'm being through that you can say something to someone they forget okay you you just show them they just remember right so once you make them involve into something they would never ever forget that exactly right so that's the thing that I found uh, from your teaching, from your YouTube videos. So, however, so, I mean, one memorable thing that I got from your lectures is the Marco Chains, oh, yeah. uh, the YouTube video that you have on a Marco Chains and Marco Model. That's amazing. You know, I've been through a lot, a lot of research I've been doing. And I couldn't be able to understand that. But thank you. personally, I felt there is one and I couldn't be able to like it
0: more than one time. Believe it or not. <laughs> oh, thank you. Very kind of you. Thank you. <laughs>
2: Yeah,
1: so yeah. in the same way, I know about your book, Grokking Machine Learning. I'm pretty
0: excited to know about it. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I'm enjoying it a lot. Uh, I'm, I'm enjoying the writing a lot and it's uh, it's almost done. Uh, so one thing I like is t- two things, right? Like you you mentioned doing things mm-hmm. and that you show how to do something. Yeah, And I also like narrative. I think stories are very important, you know? Yeah. How many times do we read a, a fiction book versus how many times do we read a... Um, a book with facts or how many times you watch a movie versus a documentary right like like I watch a lot of movies even though they're not you know they're fake right There, there's not stuff that existed yeah it was fun doing it yeah it's fun right because people like stories we're, we're engineered to to or the way we are and we grew up is we, we like listening to stories yeah right M- more than we like uh, a list of facts mm. when we read a list of facts like we, we just get tired at the beginning whereas you cannot stop a good story at the beginning you have to finish it right mm. so uh, that's sort of my way of my way of teaching so in this book i try to I, I try to tell stories i mean if i if i could tell if i could call it short stories in machine learning I <laughs> would call it, but it's it's really like i i try to look at every algorithm and, and do two things let me think of the simplest example mm. that i can that i can come up with and uh, that, that explains the algorithm like like what happened with uh, hidden Markov models right i thought about an example of two friends yeah one of them it's the weather and the other one is is happy or sad based on the weather and the ones try to find out if the other' one's happy and the story gets better because suddenly like there's a complication and they can't talk too much so they have to send a signal and you know so like i I try to tell the story of each algorithm like that mm. so there are stories about you know aliens in a planet that you'd have to figure out if they're hostile <laughs> or happy and there's another you know like i I, I try to have a narrative uh and uh, so that's what i do and then and that's what the book is about and, and each each chapter is an algorithm in in supervised learning i only cover supervised learning so mm. you know linear regression logistic regression decision trees neural network svms uh, ensemble methods and uh each one has uh i i want to make it so that everybody can understand because i think i think everybody can understand machine learning so the math requirements are very few you need to know some you know, some kind of high school math mm. but anything i i i explain it with examples so even things like slope and intercept that that gets explained in the book like there's no uh, very little prior knowledge. Yeah. Uh, and also there's programming. I think there, there's... Uh, I have code in Python and sometimes I use a package, but some other times I actually... The simple algorithms, we code them by hand. Mm. It's not something people need to do in life, but it's something that you need to do once, yeah. right? Like how we all did long division once. We don't do it now every time. But... <laughs> so yeah, so it's it's basically that. And, and I'm... Uh, yeah, I'm enjoying the process a lot. It's... Uh, yeah, it's it's, it's almost... It's almost done, but it can be found online. So. Yeah.
1: So, uh, so your book is uh, full of machine learning with stories, and also stories with full of machine learning. <laughs> exactly. So that's it.
0: That's that's it. Yeah.
1: Great, and I'll be I'll be adding the links in the description of your book. So if the people feel like I'm gonna read it so they can head up to the description
0: and go check it out, I highly recommend it to do that as well. Yes, absolutely. There's a link there to take a look at the book and there is also a discount code that I given uh, that they've given me for this particular podcast. And there's also five uh, free eBooks to give away. So, I'll let you decide how to give them away to your uh, to your uh,
1: listeners. Awesome. Thank you so much, yeah. Luis. It's really, really means a lot. So, I'll take the responsibility to make it to reach the people that they deserve and who really love your work. Awesome. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so, I have this question for you in my mind from the beginning of the podcast. So, till my 10th grade, I was in a delusion that math is all about formulae and I used to solve a lot of problems, but I never felt... Uh, them connected to me and those numbers never used to communicate with my brain okay how was your thinking at the time
0: oh absolutely uh, the exact same thing uh i was very bad ma- at math mm. actually uh, until until grade eight i i used to fail math all the time and uh things like the quadratic formula or things like the you know the slope and the y-intercept and just algebra geometry they were so difficult for me they were so difficult because they were they were formulas right like they were you know i I couldn't really see as you said i I, they didn't really speak to me yeah but there's something that i loved which was puzzles Hmm. i really liked um i really liked solving puzzles little games so i really liked playing playing games and solving you know riddles and and things like that uh but i never thought too much of it uh and At some point, I realized they were the same thing. It's actually funny. I, I, As I was failing in math, I started doing well in in mathematical competitions, in mathematical Olympiads. And that was a a bit of a contradiction. Like, why is the kid failing math, winning at the math Olympiads? (laughs) But it was very clear to me, like, because those were puzzles, right? Like, and so when I went to, they they took us to to trainings for for these uh, math Olympiads. And that's when I really fell in love Mm. with... um, with math, because they show you uh, how math is, you know, in in terms of of concepts and 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 basically puzzles. Like it wasn't that many formulas, and that's why I learned that the formulas are really just a language; they're not the math behind. In the same way, then, when you look at music, right? Like the music is not what you write. The music that you write with the scales and everything that's that's not the music. That's that's a language that used to express it. Totally. And if you look at those, then maybe it's confusing, right? But yeah. if you hear a song, it's, it's not confusing. There's just, it's a song, right? We learn to sing them when we're small. Yeah. So I, I think of math like that. We learn those fun concepts in a way that's, you know, without without the language, without the formulas. And and we use the formulas to communicate them, but we, we shouldn't, you know, we, we shouldn't see math like that. And, and, and I'm sad that education has taken us in a path that makes us think that math is formulas because because it's not totally it was an amazing comparison that you made with the the music and the mathematics that
1: actually makes a lot of sense and that feels so so similar (laughs) that's what i actually understood just now uh when you try teaching someone about something subconsciously we create a pattern or a unique approach of communicating intuitively to others right so what is your approach that makes the subject so valid and vivid
0: and clear to the others? Yeah, it's, um, it's actually a, a lot of fun and it takes a long time. Uh, what you see is the, is the final product of could be months or maybe years. Yeah. Uh, I'm constantly trying to learn a few different things. Uh, it, it comes from, you know, sometimes from work. I need to understand a certain particular thing, mm-hmm. like an, a certain, you know, at some point, neural networks, for example, I had to start understanding what they were and you know it it starts by by the thing not speaking to me because it's you know i see it and maybe i can even implement it but i don't fully understand how they work so i start making a, a little example like i say okay what's what's this what's the smallest example that that captures the entire complexity of this so i draw something with maybe two nodes or a few data points and just draw it and i and i scribble and i scribble and i i, I write the formulas and try to try to remove the formulas right i try to say okay <laughs> the moment i can remove these formulas and make them little colors or or, or cats and dogs or something then, then i understand it yeah right yeah and uh, so i i i look at things i look at things for a long time i, I many times just watch other videos and and read from different sources and I just, I just look at it. I try to explain it to people, people that don't know math. I try to go, hey, let me tell you a story in the, in a napkin. And sometimes my friends are you know, sick of me, just like I was bringing out a napkin. <laughs> uh, I try my, my mom and my family and everybody uh, and, until and then sometimes there are clicks. Like sometimes I'm like, oh, OK, something just clicked. I think I think there's an example with with a few little with a few people that that are in the situation and, they, you know, and and a few of those clicks, and eventually, I get a clear explanation in my head, and then it stays forever. Then by that time, I'm like, okay, now that I, every time I think of a neural network or every time I think of a hidden Markov model, mm. I'm just gonna think of this example, and and then I'll never forget it. Because if, if I if I try to remember the formula, I guarantee you I'll, I'll I'll forget it the next day. <laughs> so yeah, it's 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 a fun approach, and it's 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 some it's some it's a, a personal approach I take to understanding things, and I'm. I'm happy that I can share it with others and that people get benefit from from sort of that, that same approach. Yeah, and, and making a video is a big part of that approach. Like when I'm when I start making the video, many times I don't understand and I I redo it several times until the last version. is like yeah, okay, yeah, I, think yeah. I finally got something.
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: and I know that
1: personally from all of your examples. You take the cats and the dogs, and from the grumpy, happy and everything i know i've (laughs) I've been listening to all of them you know that's actually makes a lot of intuition and i can say you you one thing that you are really really good at telling the stories (laughs) thank you i'm totally i can i can say you that (laughs) (laughs) so you have been so far teaching all of this with various approaches and various methodologies telling stories in the universities and online everywhere Mm -hmm. so but when you go for university specifically and you teach the students so what is the one thing that you feel like lacking in the current education system there?
0: Yeah, I mean, there, there are several, right? There are, there are great things about the, the, the university, which is, you know, the, the, the fact that you talk to a person, the fact that you, um you know, there's a community and everything. Mm. But there, there, are, there are certainly some things that, that are lacking and that I think we can enhance with technology. Um, yeah. Mainly, you said one, but I'll, I'll quickly say three and then I'll elaborate on one. But... One is reach, which is um, basically you want to get to everybody, right? Like you, you know, if you can teach twenty privileged people, but the same lecture can help with, you know, billions of people around the world, and you you should be able, we should be able to bring every education to everybody, right? Yeah, no matter what their uh, socioeconomic status is, where they live. How old they are, what situation they are, education should reach everybody. So reach is definitely one. Mm. Um, and that would be interactivity, right? Because when I, when I sit, and that I think is the, pr- the the principal one. Like when I when I sit in a lecture, I am the most passive that I can be. I'm I'm sitting down. I'm looking up. I'm quiet, and I'm just listening. That that's not how most people learn. At least that's not how I learn. That's when I when I struggle in classes because of that, right? Mm. Um, I like to be doing things, interacting building something or maybe explaining to someone else or talking to someone and you know like and and we have very little of that because lectures lectures are very passive and and they're just the same that they used to be a thousand years ago right like somebody just stands and talks to others it's like we can do better right yeah uh and the last one is personalization personalization because we all have a different way to learn yeah right you learn a different way than i do and someone else does in a different way but the model is standard for everybody and so it only benefits one type of student Mm. um so we you know we need to do something if we can personalize you know youtube and netflix recommendations and everything we we should be able to personalize education and give everybody their own path based on their way of learning and their goals and everything so in short I, i said three reach interactivity and uh and personalization <laughs> yeah. totally yeah <laughs> that yeah. absolutely answered the question
1: and i i got to know now so the one thing that you really really love here the reach and the interactivity that you made right that's that's totally awesome and you know so i know that you moved from uh, the university to google for learning and for the product development right so when you when you had this shift from a mathematics researcher to a data scientist which means you jumped from the limitless theories with proofs to a real-time application development that you could serve billions, right? Yeah. So what are those challenges that you have personally faced when you moved from academics theory to practical industry? How far the math from the theory uh, differs from the math from the production level product development?
0: Yeah, great question. Uh, There's definitely a lot of differences uh, and and some similarities which help a lot. Mm -hmm. But basically in math, you have to, prove everything the The pinnacle of things is proving you can when you prove something you're done right? <laughs> like when you have an argument that that shows that for every single one of the cases this is true then then you're done but in industry it's very different right you don't need to hit all the cases you you need to hit the majority yeah and fast so all of a sudden your brain switches from from proving to uh to making things work well and and run fast mm-hmm. Most of the time, you, you may have some, some, sometimes it doesn't, but that, that doesn't really matter. So, to me, that was a big, big shift. Uh, but actually, there's a core among the two of them that, that has helped because when I was in math, uh, proofs never spoke to me fully 100%. I, I always try to understand things better. So, that's why even in math, I was always trying to do things in an example. And, and many times I worked out an example and I'm like, oh, cool, this is true. And then I would conjecture something, but then you know it wasn't true because I I, I had to prove it, right? I hadn't proved it. <laughs> so when it comes to, you know, I think the core of those two things of the proving and the and the implementing, inside there's there's a level of of sort of you know grasping a concept and and being able to understand it and, and build something with it that that is kind of true to both. But yeah, definitely the challenge was, Making things fast and uh, the technical challenges. Programming to me was uh, came later in life, so it it was it was difficult to uh, to write programs in scale. I think to me when I when I started Google, it was coming from like writing little programs for my work uh, that would that would work in a small case to like doing th- something large scale was um, was was a big challenge. It was a lot of fun to learn, but it was it was a big challenge. Super.
1: On top of that, when you joined Google and then moved to Udacity and then to Apple, what are those three biggest things that you got an opportunity to work with them? Just like one for each company, what would you pick from
0: them? Ah, great question. Yeah, at Google, definitely the programming in large scale. I mean, I think cool. th- that, that was a big thing that I uh, that I had to learn there. Uh, at U- at Udacity, it was, I mean, I really, I, I had an experience teaching in university, but teaching online was a completely different monster because it was when the students are not in front of you, uh, it, you teach in front of a camera, uh, you don't see their faces, you don't know and interact, then you see a lot of data, right? You see when they when they left, when they started, when they came back, how they answered this. So changing from the data of like looking at faces and facial interaction to to looking at data was actually very, very interesting. And and, and that's uh, something I learned there. Uh, and at Apple, I think I, I I learned to combine them, right? Because I had the, the teaching experience and the coding experience, but this time I had, there was a lot of, I had to talk to, you know, teach internally. And so I had to be tied with the products and talk to people internally and give sort of consulting. And so I, I sort of tied them together. Right? I got to have a higher level uh, of, of involvement at google i was very low level i was just doing the the production code but at apple i i had a, a bit more of a high level on on how you know telling more how how the models worked etc so so that was that was fun so
1: yeah great i think you create beautiful journeys no matter where you go as you are in the industry for years uh what i would like to ask you now is rather than knowing how to start machine learning instead i want you to say about how to not start machine learning because often when we know about what would go wrong
0: our brain infuses not to be on it right great great question yeah i I may answer something that's a little paradoxical but it's uh you, you kind of have to develop your own path everybody's path is different and it's you feel kind of guilty things are very helpful right like 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 um Chronicles of other people learning are very helpful. And there's a lot of people who put videos and blog posts on how I learned machine learning. And it's very useful resources, right? So I, I recommend look at those. But I also recommend don't follow them that closely. Because <laughs> if if you go on a blog and it says, this is how I learned machine learning. I first read this entire book. And then you get to the chapter one and then like, oh, I, I'm lost. And then you feel guilty that you're not following the path of this person, mm. right? It's because it's not because you know, you just won't be able to achieve what they achieve. It's just that you have a different way of learning, a different path. So looking at those for advice are great, but also knowing that you don't have to follow them, uh, you know, cl- closely. You, you just have to f- make your own path. So maybe try this from one, this from another one. I jumped around a lot. I I tend to do that. My brain is a little all over the place and, and you know, I lay DD, so I think I, I tend to, I, I jumped from one course to another one I read a little bit of this I tried a little bit of this I tried this notebook so it's, it's a little all over the place and s- some people are more structured they just they just go for an entire course from beginning to end they just go from an entire book from beginning to end yeah. so basically just just see who you are form your own approach and don't feel guilty for for doing your own your own thing you know that's that's the only the only the only no no with that is yeah don't don't feel guilty <laughs> I totally get that and uh, getting
1: into this one more specifically a few people would say to start with programming in the first and you move ahead on another hand few people would recommend to start with math in the first place and you move forward so what do you say about it
0: yeah I mean in the same way that everybody has their way of learning everybody has their path their story of how they got into machine learning right and their their previous knowledge I came from math from from pure from years of doing just pure math because I, I didn't plan it. I just, I wanted to be a mathematician and then I decided I wanted to be a data scientist. So, uh, I, I didn't come in the, 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 the traditional way, but, but many people don't come the, the traditional way. Um, you definitely need, need both the math intuition and the programming. Mm. And, uh, so I had to, my, my path was, I need to learn a lot of programming but other people's path at the programming and they need to learn a lot of math or other people but i think um no matter where you come from you can do you can do machine learning uh i've uh, i've had co-workers who come from all walks of life from every single career path somebody can come into machine learning because if you think about it what you're doing is you want to teach a computer to to think like a human right and and it's all humans not not like a mathematician or a programmer but like like any kind of human right so any any discipline teaches you something about how humans operate and if you if you have that frame of mind if you think that way and you have that discipline in your head you come in thinking like that and and you can improve machine learning a lot so so diversity is very important yeah in in for that and uh yeah i mean i think i think anybody who comes with their own strength can can join data science yeah
1: cool that's amazing um, I'm kind of curious to know, uh, what, what makes people surprised when they know something about you?
0: Oh, when they know something, uh, I, I think, so people think I'm smarter than I am and then they meet me and they're like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean, I think in some I way, don't believe that. <laughs> no, uh, here's the thing. Uh, people think I'm, I'm the stereotypical fast sort of machine learning professional slash scientist that goes, this, that uh, formula, 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 formula. And then they talk to me, and then I start asking simple questions about everything. It's like, okay, w- what about the for n equals two? Okay, w- what about the first line of this paper? Sorry, I'm not sure if I understand this. And then I go to page one in the book, and I stick to page one, and I'm like, okay, well, what about this? And they, this is part peop- things that people skim quickly, right? Oh. In code, I, I take a while. I'm like, okay, this this line of code I hear over here. Right here the, and so they they think so. People think, wow, this. The first thing is think, I mean is well, this guy's kind of stupid, right? Because they're just like, <laughs> why is he so slow? And then I think I think people appreciated that I mean I that's the way I think and I'm true to that. And I just you know, that's the way I understand it and it in some for some things it may help. Interesting. For some things it may hamper. Right? Uh, for for explaining it 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 helps. So so yeah, I think I think uh now I kinda warn people sometimes. I, like when I wanna have a conversation and math with somebody, I have to be like, Okay, i just have to warn you. Like I'm very slow and I'm going to ask a lot of dumb questions. Are you okay with that? <laughs> and, then, and then we can talk and, and maybe understand things in, a, in, a, in, a, in different ways. Cool.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that's
0: interesting.
1: Uh, this actually reminded me that my friends actually named me like a question bag because I always used to ask a lot of questions in the classroom, no matter what other people think.
0: Yeah, that's good. That's, that's that was the same, and I think that's wonderful because you question, right? Curiosity is, uh, is very important.
1: Yeah, but later okay. I used to realize that yeah, those questions are lame.
0: <laughs> no, but you know, I think I've I've asked many lame questions, and I'll continue asking them. And I think <laughs> everything that's I think everything that's a piece of genius has ever started with with a simple question. You know, yeah. I think should not be afraid of, afraid of asking questions and, and doubting things uh and uh you know i think i think that's the right way to learn yeah
1: hmm. yeah and you know what is the one biggest problem and one problem in technology or life that you dream of solving Ooh,
0: there's uh it's interesting there's there's many uh i i think my my lifelong one is i i want to bring knowledge to everyone in the world i want to bring education to everyone you know i Mm-hmm. Used, and, and this is something that we, we have the technology to do for the first time we are able to do that so I want to bring quality education to every human in the world regardless of where they are how much money they have um, what situation they are I want to bring them the opportunity to, to be able to, to learn anything they want and, and be able to contribute to, to their community and to society
1: Cool. And that is the same intention and the vision of the Sereno. Academy as well.
0: That is, indeed. Mm.
1: And, you know, when you go for, uh, you know, getting into the project and understanding the machine learning requirement and everything, so at the end, you come up with a solution and you make it. But if it if it's like a project of the other person, like it's a client, where is a business person, right? Understanding the domain is so much important to solve the problems using machine learning. That's all right. But how do you make the business person understand the complex workflows of your solution?
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a, great, a great question. I uh, I mean, I, I think when I when I have to uh, help someone understand uh, a machine learning uh, concept, I, I try to think of a simple, really simple examples. And, and that can work in theory and in practice, right? Like if you have a recommender system, I can come up with a recommender system for four people, for four users, right? Yeah. And I can explain all the complexities with those four users or maybe I need 10 users I don't know but I, I try to focus on on the, on the concepts and I try to really solve the problem for a small case because when you have computers they can just do something in large scale but if you're able to, to explain it in a very to, if you're able to, 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 to look at your problem in a very simple case and solve it there you'll be able to, to scale and then, and then scale is uh, very simple. So I, I always try to, in the prior it isn't in the theory, I, I always try to look at an example.
2: Hmm.
1: Okay, so what do you think about the deep neural networks? So what they're actually communicating with inside and how far we could hold the intuition within?
0: Yeah, I mean, neural networks are, are always going to be a puzzle <laughs> for me. Uh, I feel like...
1: And you love puzzles, I know that.
0: And I love puzzles, yeah. But th- this one's <laughs> going to take a while. I mean, I think we are able to use them well. I think we're... We are doing with neural networks like like early humans were doing with fire, like we can use it mm-hmm. for cooking, and we know we know how to you know we know that we burn if we touch it, but we know that if we if we cook with it, it's good, and then we we, we manage them well. So we with, with neural networks we can we can use them very well, right? We're like okay, try this, try try that layer, try the architecture, but in the same way that early humans use fire, they they didn't understand what was going on on it, what kind of reaction was was happening. Mm. I don't. I don't know if we fully understand neural networks, and this is my opinion. I mean, some people think, you know, we, if we know the formulas and the math, we understand them. I I still don't fully understand what what happens inside, right? Cool. But in my head, like if you have, for example, your data is uh, you you have two inputs, right? So your your data is uh, two two variables. Then you're living in the plane. Yeah. And if your first hidden layer has three nodes, then you're kind of putting that plane living in three dimensions, right? Yeah. And then you're doing some transformations and the transformations can be like, you know, rotation, translation, uh, scaling. And then you do some some kind of sigmoid or tanh, which is kind of bl- blends it. like It's just kind of folds it, right? Yeah, yeah. And then, or, or if it's a relu, it, it just kind of cuts it, breaks it and, and puts angles on it. But then you do that repeatedly, right? Like you take your you take your your little plane of data and you put it in three space and fold it, and then you put it in ten space if you have ten layers in the next uh, ten activity, ten ten nodes in the next layer, and then you bring it down and then you fold it and fold it and unfold it, and and then at the end you end up with, you know, something that that has all your all your your label ones, your positive examples on one side, and all the zeros on the other side. So it, it's a bit of that, yeah, yeah, and I think being able to understand that would be fascinating and i think uh, maybe one day we will and it'll be super easy and then kids will learn it in kindergarten (laughs) but uh, uh, until then um i mean i think we should yeah i think there's a lot of research going on you can you can look there's research looking at what happens in the layers you know clustering things in the layers and just 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 understanding them and i mean in vision you can see it right you can see that what each layer sees is different. If, if in the in the first layers of a neural network you see points and lines, and then you start seeing, you know, like little eyes and noses, and then at the end you start seeing faces, <laughs> and you just kind of like, I'm not sure why. Like, I'm not sure why that happens, and understanding that would be would be fascinating.
1: Mm. Yeah. Totally, totally. And, you know, I have this question for you where you have to be seriously vulnerable about it. What is the high-impact risk that you have taken till now?
0: Ah, interesting. Um, I mean, I've, I've taken... You know, I've, I've been very blessed. I've, I've had opportunities and, you know, uh, I can't complain. Uh, I, I have taken some risks. Uh, they never... I never planned to take them, but things kind of worked out that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, switching careers late in life several times uh, has been a risk the first time when i when i left mathematics and went to technology it was that's it a big risk i i didn't know you know like people were much younger than me like i i had a you know it was just uh, could have gone well or maybe not so i <laughs> I, I i did that and it, it paid off the first time even, even though there were like some some successes and some failures so it paid off so i kind of kind of enjoyed it and and so i do take random risks in career like like um just uh just switching completely so when i decided to switch to quantum Mm. uh i felt like it was if i had done one one big switch already before or two big switches it was it was uh it made sense right like Mm. you know switching from coding to education like i i've enjoyed those and and i know they're they're risky but but i've uh they've paid off and i've really been able to learn a lot in the process (laughs) It's kind of really, it shows how you think when you had
1: that thing as a teaching profession and you really love your passion and you move for the production, I mean, for the product development into the companies and then you should back, you switching your careers that actually shows how you are exploring various things that you're fascinated about. It's, it's really amazing, Louis. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I, I look at my I look at the path, and some, sometimes I feel guilty that I didn't stay in one thing, and sometimes <laughs> people are just much more experts. But then I think, but then I, I tell myself the same advice I tell others, right? Like do your own path. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, maybe my own path is just is just bounce around everywhere and pick up a few things from here and there. So I, I, I enjoy it, certainly enjoy it. Yeah, and you know how I feels in uh, you know how I feel when it comes to
1: uh you know being on a certain thing for a long time, or you be explored on whatever you wish. So what I personally feel is into me and this is my personal thing. So how I feel is that uh, we have only one single life and you're going to explore what you wish. That's it. (laughs) So that is how I feel. I I love it. Yeah. Perfect. And I don't know whether you stopped off for a moment and thought about your learning style and recognize that the approach that that made you better. All right. So as everyone in the school, they read differently, they write differently, they speak differently. And just in the same way, they think differently. And you know, guess what? They learn differently as well, right? So, in the same way, how do you program your brain before you learn something new? And what is your learning style?
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, as I said, yeah, my my learning style definitely comes from from my slow way to understand things, and so I embrace it. I I go. This is uh something actually I learned from my PhD advisor was to 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 stay at the beginning and and actually sort of have respect for things that for others. That, that, that are simple. Like many people skim over the details and, and they pass the page one of the book and they pass page one of the paper and they start reading later. I get stuck in the beginning. Yeah, I used to do that. <laughs> yeah, I used to do that. But now I I don't mind. I, I have respect for the first sentence and the first page. Like I, I just have mm. because there's a lot there. There's a lot of beauty in simplicity yeah uh in the same way like you know in in an atom there's there's in a, in, a, in a grain of sand there's so many atoms and there's so many things and the it's, it's universe is right in the same way in the same way i in the simple concepts can be much understood uh, understood much much better mm. so when i try to understand something new i mean I, I start reading the literature uh and i don't i don't mind going from the very beginning and and just as i usually do try everything in an example right so I'll give you an example. I've been trying to understand RBMs. Uh, there's a video coming up soon. <laughs> uh, but I try I try for those and I, I look at papers and I look at, you know, Wikipedia and I, I try to build one myself. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I sometimes try to code it or or at least uh, work out an example of something with, with two nodes or three nodes, work out all the formulas and... and and try everything that that until it starts clicking, um, and I think I I always try to explain it to a five year old. You know, the moment I can do that, I'm uh, I'm done. Mm. You know, so yeah, it's 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 not a linear process. But I the most important thing is that I enjoy being in the in the process of not understanding it yet. I'm like okay, I need to understand it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: totally. <laughs> yeah. You know, and uh, what what are those often mistakes that you find? young data science aspirants usually do that okay yeah
0: i think if you're i think if you're hungry for understanding it's it's a good thing uh we tend to sort of negotiate with ourselves like we tend to look at the formula and say okay okay i i get the formula Mm. but that doesn't mean we we get it completely like the fact that we understand that this is a summation and that this is a sigmoid and that this is (laughs) that doesn't mean we understand why it's happening right yeah so so people tend to focus on on the on the formulas too much without looking at the big picture and the same thing with with code they, they tend to we tend to look at the code and be like okay if i can code this i i'm done uh but you know i i like to look behind i'll, I'll give you an example when i look at an error function right hmm. um it's for example it's it's a sum of logarithms Hmm. Wh- why is there a sum of logarithms right like yeah people understand a sum of logarithms so right? i just go and many times they understand okay Uh, this error function is big when my model is bad because it's a lot of error and the model and the error function is is small when the model is good yeah that's good that's a level of understanding but you know still not clear why it's a sum of logarithms right like why why is it a a sum of sine and cosines like why is it logarithms right Mm. and then i you know one thing to look at that is okay a sum of logarithms is a logarithm of a product yeah so maybe the point of logarithm is that it turns sums into products or products into sums. So what is that product? It's a product of things. Mm. And when you look at the product, it's, it's always things that are between 0 and 1. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are things that are between 0 and 1? Probabilities. Pro- perfect, yes. Right? And so all of a sudden, your sum of logarithms, forget the logarithm, it's, it's, a, pro- it's a product of probabilities. And a product of probabilities is a, is a probability itself. Mm. Right? And all you have to ask is, what is this the probability of yeah. and the moment you decide okay this is the probability that something happened mm. okay that then i understand that error function much better now now it's it's not a, it's no longer a sum of logarithms now it's in a thing an, a, an event that happened and i just calculated the probability and that can be high or low depending if my model is good or bad yeah right so if we stop at the sum of logarithms we're, we're doing ourselves a disservice right because we're never gonna fully understand what what it means and we're gonna use it but it's it's good to go deeper so i think i think if people go deeper and and, and not necessarily in the math in, in in the conceptual things right yeah yeah i think that's something that that can help us do better models
1: cool and you know uh when we try to understand this uh, michelin learning it's not only that but also any of these uh, mathematical theories or proof anything of there. So, people used to go and they look at that and they try to look at the formulas and the think that they understood what as I said you earlier, yeah, right. But you know when they come to know about uh this is not the way, right? So if I wanted to get the intuition, so they have to unlearn it first, and they need to relearn it in a different dimension, yes, right. So you know it's actually funny that we always excited to know more about the things, but we forget to think about learning how to learn, yes, right. So what do you say about it? How can someone figure out a learning approach that they could put in execution for learning something new in a better way that could make even more sense, even more uh, execution, even more productivity?
0: Yeah, definitely. This is something that I I learned at Udacity, both from the students and from my fellow teachers. Mm. Uh, I noticed that we had different ways of learning things because we're always learning things. Well, we have to teach, we have to learn first. Yeah. And there were three types of us, three main types. There were the ones who really liked to work out the math details. I have friends who said, until I I work out the entire board of backpropagation, I I don't get backpropagation, right? (laughs) There were others that liked to build things. So they were like, okay, I I need to open a notebook, build this model, (laughs) put some data, look at the results. And when I build it, then I understand it. And then there was the people like me who were like, I have to take a napkin and explain it in a crayon with a, to a five-year-old. <laughs> and that's when I get it. So conceptual, right? So we realized that none of them was, was, was better. There were three uh, points in a triangle, right? Like uh, building, uh, working out the math, building things and, and understanding concepts. And so we started focusing our teaching like that. And we noticed that students were like that too. Some of the students were... You know, they just wanted to do the lab. Some others, they just just wanted to do this formulas. Some other, you know, like it's, it, it's. I think those are three. There there may be more, and obviously there are things between them. But it identifying which one you are, is is very good mm-hmm. because you can focus on that one and not forget the other two. Right? There's times where I'm like, okay, I need to code this, even though code, I'm not, I'm, I'm not a coding understander, mm-hmm. but you, I need to to code this. to to fully get certain things so not forget the other two but embrace the one you have and use that one to your advantage that's how i think
1: perfect and also i know you're fascinated about solving puzzles as well along with the mathematics so uh how about when sometimes when you try solving mathematical puzzles I, we feel blocked yes. right we we feel a lot lot of times like when you couldn't able to make it we feel blocked right what do you do when we got a puzzles that you couldn't solve so because I get it in the mind and I couldn't able to think about anything I yeah. think about the puzzle how, how could I do that how could I make it how could I crack it yeah so what do you do then
0: well yeah I mean the, the first thing I think is enjoying it like does it happen to you that mm. you solve a puzzle and then you kind of remember oh you know it was so much fun when I when I didn't know the answer <laughs> and I and I I was kind solving like sometimes you want to forget it and do it again a year later or something. Yeah. So like you appreciating that moment when you when you were lost
2: mm. and saying,
0: I missed that moment. Then when I'm solving a problem, I think, you know, I am in that moment. Like the me from the future is gonna be jealous of the me from now. Oh my god. Because the me from now is is having fun solving the problem. The me from the future knows the answer, and that's lame, right? So I appreciate that. And, and if it takes me a long time, I make sure that I that that removes some frustration right because there's frustration when you're not yet solving a solve a puzzle right <laughs> so I, I i try that's my first step to like to like you know trick myself into enjoying the the frustration uh and then i i just you know sometimes i stop and come back with a fresh mind sometimes i go for a walk i come back i try different things i, I try to have different approaches mm. um some, some yeah just uh sometimes it's Sometimes you know there's like a a hard work way to solve it. Like there's there's some something that may may help you, but it takes a lot of work. It's kind of sometimes you have to push through. <laughs> so so trying to try to remember that. Uh, but I mean, I think I think the best, I think the 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 most important thing is is enjoying and appreciating that that moment
1: cool and how do you keep your thinking uh that could actually improve your performance in solving puzzles and also in real world problems
0: yeah i mean i think that's like a sport hmm. it's it's a skill for example at uh, this the, the math olympiad problems that i used to solve in high school I, I can't solve it anymore i have a hard time like sometimes i get i sit down and try to solve those particular problems hmm. but uh it's a it's, it's a skill right it's like when an athlete stops doing it and they know exactly what they have to do but their muscle memory is gone right so it's something you need to to constantly be doing something that you you need to constantly be be practicing and you know if you enjoy it it feels like you're doing it for fun like when you play a something play a a sport for fun it's like yeah you know uh, so i think it's it's something you norm you you just need all you need is just consistency and and keep and keep doing it
1: cool and I have this question for you yep. where all the researchers, not only in data science, no matter where they are, so they'll be surely liking this question. So how to understand a research paper better?
0: Yeah, that oof, <laughs> that's hard. Papers papers are so hard to read. <laughs> uh, it's incredible. I mean, I don't know. It, it, I, I don't think there's anybody who... Uh, maybe there is, and I, I congratulate them, but i be <laughs> surprised somebody comes and tells me, oh, yeah, no, right, papers are just so easy to read. And I don't know if you had this experience. Like, you, you, you talk to the... Sometimes you meet the writer of the paper, and you, you spend time with them, and, and you go, okay, help me out here. And then they, they explain it to you the way they understand it, and it's so so much simpler. Because <laughs> they have an, an example in mind or something, and I'm like, oh, why didn't you say that? But at the same time, it's... It, it's hard to write papers. They have to be done in a certain formal way that are, even the ones I write, like I I have to like write them in a sort of formal way. And then years later, I don't understand my own paper. (laughs) But, but, but you know, I, I try to, I try to see what they were thinking. I, I try to understand what, what the writer was, was thinking when they wrote the, the paper. And this is something that I've been challenged lately because I have to read a lot of papers for my current work uh and, and uh i since i tend to go for the details and i tend to stay in on on the on the introduction or in the abstract for for, for hours or something um that helps but i've actually learned something from my colleagues recently which is that you can also do the opposite like y- you can also read it like the way a bird sees the <laughs> the, the forest right just you, you you don't have to go for every tr- every tree and every every piece of grass and you just uh look at it from the from the top and be like okay they did this then they did that then they use this function that I don't know exactly how that works but it does this and the results are that and I I find that that's a good skill too like I think you can go through skim through the entire paper and try to see what what they do in large scale without understanding the details that can be one one copy of you and the other copy of you tries to understand (laughs) the details carefully that that may be a good way but I'm still I'm still struggling. I think I'll figure out how to read uh, how to read papers. I'll, I'll let you know. <laughs> and if you ever figure it out, or, or somebody tells you, please let me know. Okay, like you just feel like immediately, like Luis, I figured out this. This is what you have to do because <laughs> it's hard. Okay, so I could tell you a little of my experience here. So uh,
1: I never completed reading a paper totally. All right. So, but I got a chance to work at research and development centers of a of a company mm-hmm. uh, where I was interning there. So the R&D team for working on machine learning and data science, so they are specifically, uh, you know, work on reading the papers and then uh, implementing the papers to be to be very precise, they try to implement the papers in the real time. All right. So, uh, you know, what I learned from them is that uh, they keep track of everything. Okay, whatever they find something interesting out there. So, they use some tool called Zotero. Okay. Okay. Zotero is a application. So, they have this within themselves and they keep track of everything what they found out something interesting. They keep track of all of that because we see the words often coming up uh, many times in the paper, right? Yeah. And we think about the same thing. What What was that word? Okay. I didn't know that this is the, because this is the 21st day that I'm reading the same paper, right? Yeah. <laughs> so that's how they keep track of that and they make a point of it and what they do uh they rewrite the paper
0: that's wonderful i mean that single paper could
1: turn up into 10 papers
0: no i love that i love that because many times yeah you're right many, many times you want to know uh what they what failed right like if they tried a hundred things and they only they only tell me the one that that worked that's like tell me the story like tell me the ones that what you tried what failed what what you learned from each one of them you know i think there's there's a lot more that can be said. Mm. So it's, it's great that that tool sounds great. Yeah. Cool. Perfect. Uh, that's really, really amazing
1: conversation. These are the things what I really personally wanted to ask you from the podcast. Uh, three days ago where uh, I requested you to make an AMA, like ask me anything yep. with a B-A-T-L-Y URL, a Google form where people turned up to ask you a lot of questions, but I took out a little specific questions for you, which are kind of related to our podcast. Okay. So these are the things what I had further for you. So the first question is it's regarding the deployment and all. So what are some pitfalls and best practices of deploying and running AI MN models in production for enterprise-strength applications?
0: Oh, that's uh that's interesting. Yeah. It's a good question. It's uh it's difficult because there's just too many things that can happen in in production, right? So Standard, tech, I'll, I'll, I'll deviate from standard technical things and I'll say like the, the most important thing is is to pick your battles, right? Like to know exactly what you need to do and, and what you don't need to do, right? So know your application well and your problem and your users well and then decide, okay, I want to optimize on the following and not on these other things and that will help you because a common, common thing that happens is you, you start solving one problem and and solving end up solving a different one, so it's kind of pick your battles and know your and know your your problem well.
1: Cool. I hope that answers his question or her question. It's totally fine. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> so possibly, so there is another question for you. Uh, hey, Luis. Uh, I have a theoretical background for machine learning, but while practically performing a task, it's really hard to choose a correct model so how swiftly to choose a model and obtain high accuracy so high ac- accuracy is the metric they use here so make sure to be on it
0: okay <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah picking models is hard because they're they're all very different and there's very few times that i see a problem and i go ooh that's definitely uh, this model problem like the, the many times you want to pick a few different ones right so you know like um so for example, if I have a decision trees or SVM or, neural networks, like I, I just try all of them. Right. And the point is to know how to compare them well. Mm. So if you want, if you want accuracy, first of all, ask yourself the question, do you want accuracy or do you want something else? Because it could be that what you want is precision, or it could be that when you want is recall mm. or some kind of score and F1 score in between. So, so that is, that is an important thing. What, what do you really want to optimize? And, um, yeah, just, I, I do a lot of grid search. I do a lot of just, uh, Picking a bunch of different models and a bunch of different hyperparameters and training all of them and seeing which one did better. That's, there's no shame in that because, you know, models are a bit of a black box, even if we understand them well, they're, they're a bit of a black box, so... Mm. Yeah, just just know how to compare them well. I think that's a better skill than knowing how to pick yeah, knowing how to compare. Yeah.
1: So making those black boxes, to be clear and transparent, is the whole game. Yeah. So and also here is another question. So do I need to go to postgraduation school in order to be a great data scientist or a machine learning engineer? Or should I get experience working as a data scientist with a computer science degree and learning as I go?
0: Yeah, I mean you this is something I like to emphasize. You you absolutely do not need postgraduate work. Okay. To do well in data science if you want it's great if you want it's a lot of fun if you want to do a master's if you want to do a phd you get to learn many things it's very interesting but you don't have to so things that work if you don't if you you know as, as alternate online education is very important i have done many i've taken many courses online uh things like kaggle competitions or anywhere anywhere you can get your hands on data and and play with it uh and experience if you can do an internship if you can do uh, you know work here work there uh freelance if you work uh you know like that that all gives you experience because in interviews they ask you they put scenarios on you and they say how would you do with this with this model so all that experience is what works and uh sharing knowledge i mean writing blogs making videos that's always important i think everybody has something to say so i always recommend it to, to do that as well. And it helps you, your brand, right? Like if you're going in an interview and they see blog, your blog, and then they read it and then something's awesome. That's, that's super helpful. So yeah, just a combination of things makes, it's not necessary to have a, to have a postgraduate.
1: Perfect. Okay. So, so what do you think is the best way to get motivated? Okay. When you are feeling down and didn't find excitement in the projects that you have been working on for long. So how do you get motivated for the work? Uh, I have been through that. Okay, (laughs) I really, I'm really curious for the answer. Oh yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I've been through that many (laughs) times. Um, I think there are two kinds of lack of motivation, and I've certainly had both of them. There's the small scale, and the large scale. Hmm. The small scale, I go through it every day. It's sort of like when you're tired of what you're doing, or like how do you. How do you push through? If 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 it's something you're doing and you like, um, uh, and I think you just you, you have to take care of yourself. We we tend to work many hours. We now with these days we're in front of the computer all the time. It's always good to take breaks, to rest, to develop other things, do other activities, you know, be friends, family, you know, like just 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 other things that keep your mind off are important because when we when we stay too long on these things even if we like them they can be very difficult so don't don't forget about yourself your body and your and your mind so that's the small scale right yeah there's also the large scale the, the, the large scale lack of motivation which is i don't want to be doing this and that happens and sometimes society pressures us to want to 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 force ourselves to to lo- to to love what we do but maybe we don't maybe something else you know uh, I think when that happens, you, you have to go deep and we have to be honest with ourselves true to ourselves and and say, OK, do I do I love what I'm doing, what I'm doing or do I hate it? Yeah. Um, uh, and that is that then you have to take measures. Right. Uh, it, it's, it's hard. Right. You may be in a situation
2: where
0: you depend on your job or things like that. But it's, it's always you can always question. Right. So the question that I like to ask myself all the time that was once asked to me uh, is what would you do if all the jobs paid the same? And there's something in your mind and that's your passion. So that was once asked to me. And I was like when I was a programmer and I was like teaching. Oh, my <laughs> so, God. <laughs> so I was like, I definitely have to be a teacher. Like, I, you know what I mean? Like, so you have to ask yourself that question every day. Like, am I? You know to, and, and if 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 you don't have the passion if if it's not clear what the passion is then don't worry keep keep looking for it keep keep trying to find what you like but i think i think the key to to extreme motivation is is finding that thing you love to do and and doing it so it depends on what kind of 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 a motivation you you're having like that's you can take either smaller or large measures <laughs>
1: absolutely that literally blown my mind thing what you said uh, imagine all the salaries or all the payments where you have the same and you choose the one thing that came into your mind that's amazing you know mm-hmm. that's really really exactly. amazing. Always, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool because we've been biased with this we've been totally biased with all the income that we get for a specific position
0: yeah
1: uh, not 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 realizing that we are forgetting our deep roots with the purpose and the passion right it's amazing that's beautifully said you is amazing
0: yep Absolutely, we go for income, for status. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, cool. And here's another
1: question for you. So, do you have any advice on how to land a good company to work on artificial intelligence uh, subfields like computer vision, data science, uh, reinforcement learning, etc.? So, as a uh, as a recent undergraduate.
0: Yeah, definitely. There, there, there are ways. Uh, one thing is very important: is referrals. I, I always you can never I was over emphasize referrals because if you have friends that work on something they that that helps a lot they 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 give you a referral to the company and that that goes much farther so don't be afraid to contact your friends uh they do like to give referrals because not only they get to you know maybe work with you but they also you know companies pay sometimes for for referrals so don't be afraid to contact people that you know yeah um Internships are very important, you know. If you, if you can get an internship, that'll get you the, the foot in the door. Um, other than that, just uh, throwing yourself out there, you know. I think, um, yeah, just just uh, keep 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 applying, keep keep knocking doors, and uh, many times you can enter a company for something slightly different. But make you know if the company has something. You know, if it's a big company and you want to do RL, but you end up doing something different, just go inside and, and try to look at internal transfers. Internal transfers are easier than than coming into a company. You just So, yeah, many, many little things like that.
1: Totally. But I think this question would also possibly make the listeners to have another question in their mind. So what it would be like, uh, how, how about your personal journey, jumping into google and from apple and from to udacity so how how was your approaches getting into them
0: yeah um great question for google I was a referral i i asked a friend when when i was switching into industry i didn't really know what i wanted or what was there i just knew that i was leaving academia and so i started different things i talked to people in finance i talked to people in consulting and i talked i interviewed here and there and so I, I started contacting all my friends basically, people that I knew and going to conferences and just asking people, asking for cars just just you know, talking to people and that's how I came to to tech. I, I wasn't thinking about going to technology at all. Hmm. And a friend told me, Hey, yeah, uh, come to Google. I work at Google and I'm like, Well, I, I know I, I don't program that much and he's like, No, I didn't either but you know, it's it's more about they look at other skills. <laughs> and so that's how I got involved and then I uh, then they gave me a referral my friend gave me a referral and uh, that got my foot in the door once you get your foot in the door then it's easier once I was at Google I knew I knew people here and there so when I decided to move to Udacity was um it's when I decided that I wanted to teach Hmm. and uh, then then I just applied out of the blue um other times sometimes they contact my, my youtube channel has been very very helpful for places to contact me so i always tell people you know share your thoughts share write a blog if you you know if you like it make videos because then people contact you from that like that the, you know apple contact me because of the youtube channel cool um so yeah always like that and for for quantum i i i have a very good friend who who's a quantum research scientist and I started asking him so many questions about quantum computing, okay, <laughs> uh, that uh, he one day said, "Do you want to work on this?" <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but, and then he referred me, and then I switched. So it's just it's just asking my, my, my habit of asking many many simple questions got me got me there, and so a referral was what got me there. Amazing, yeah. amazing. So that's cre- really really good. So that yeah.
1: saves me to be like, no matter how you knock the door, but you keep knocking it. Always. Right. That's totally important. But if you quit knocking. You keep stopping yourself, right? You got to keep knocking
0: the doors. Exactly. Totally. Cool. You got to keep knocking. The worst that can happen is that you don't get a reply. And I have yeah. probably thousands of, yeah. of, of not replies. Yeah, I know the pain. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, one, 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 one reply wins over all over a thousand non replies. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Yeah. So here, here you have another question.
1: Uh, have you ever failed? Oh my God. Why not? Yeah. If so, uh, how did you manage it? And, uh, how did you use that experience?
0: Have I failed I failed so many times? <laughs> yeah no I, I have failed many times and I'm very thankful because that has taken me to where I am. My first failure was in academia I mean I, I, I couldn't get a job as a professor right That was mm. my first one I was a, I went all the way to postdoctoral fellow and then it was hard to get a job. Oh so I was I was devastated I was frustrated and uh that's where i started looking for other things and thank god because i i started looking for other things and i i got to where i am right and uh so i after knocking many doors because you know i was getting interviews but not jobs and, and it, was, it was very frustrating <laughs> somehow google worked somehow many companies said no but google said yes and uh i ended up at google and uh, that was another failure i didn't do very well there hmm. i was um coding this production code and i was not really a coder so I was doing I I learned a lot and I enjoyed it but I was certainly like I was I was struggling right I was I enjoyed the machine learning part I enjoyed the data analytics part but it was it was just just hard production code was so difficult for me and so that's when I started looking and, and that's where actually the question was posed to me like what would you do if you if all the jobs paid the same and I was like I, I wouldn't be writing production code <laughs> <laughs> I, I respect those who do and I think I I, I learned a lot and I, I have great respect for those who do but I was not I was not that I I like to write code I like to do things but not and so yeah that after that wasn't going well I was I was also uh, very I was also very devastated you know because I was like I tried one career and it and it didn't work and I, I tried something else and I didn't and but but after those failures that's what got me to teaching hmm. and I'm very thankful for that I think if I was if I was a little better at those other things I would have never discovered my passion for teaching so I'm, I'm glad that those failures happen at the moment they're very depressing and they you can feel terrible about yourself because your self-confidence can yeah go in the ground and, yeah and it's very hard but you know if if you sort of fast forward and, and know that, that 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 help you find your true path Mm. then you can be very thankful you know so my advice for anybody who's in in that is like i, I hope it doesn't sound naive but let me say like that that may be a door like you, failure may be a door to to greater things mm. and so just push through trying to to find what what you really love and that's i think the only way to to overcome it yeah 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 and and be ready for more i mean i'm ready for more failure you know i think if you know, and if you try try something and I <laughs> and I fail completely, that's that's okay. I think you should have a, I think you should have a rate of fifty percent maybe, yeah. uh, success and failure. I w- if you have too much success, it's like maybe you're just not trying to find a, a hard problems, right? Like you're you're overfitting. <laughs> <laughs> as you say again, this is a sport
1: again, so you fail as many times. Uh, but it's not like a gambler's fallacy that you have equal number of winnings and also equal number of failures. No way. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> totally okay. So here you have another uh, technical question this time. All right, so how can we build a recommendation system without a rating column? Assuming that we have user ID, video, and the
0: video genre. That's a good question. Um, you can't with with user ID, video, and video genre, you, you, if you don't have a rating, you, I would look for other signals, right? Like there's many signals you can recommend on. If you have any kind of number of clicks or number of watches or things like that, uh, time they spent on the on the page or on the video or on the song, like the, the, how much money they spent. If you have any kind of signal like that, then use that in, instead of rating. But if you still don't, then the only things you can do are unsupervised learning because you don't have the, the label, right? Hmm. So you can do unsupervised learning, you can cluster. So you, if you cluster your users... Uh, and look at the videos they watched you can see that if for example a certain cluster watched all these videos right uh so you can recommend to a user in that cluster you know the, the similar similar video so you can do dimensionality reduction and 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 and, and clustering can can help you a lot uh, matrix factorization can also help you a lot so if you put a matrix uh, I, I have a video on that in case they want to look at it where they do recommendations there but it's not it's not with rating right you just put the users and the and the videos and and a big matrix of what they watched hmm. and try to factor that matrix and that tells you what things are likely to watch to, that that uh, that they're gonna watch let me even go simpler answer than that you have if you have if you don't have a rating column but you have who watched what you can recommend over that right because you have You have user ID, video, and video genre, but you also have what videos user to watch. If you have that, just recommend over that, right? Over like trying to predict what uh, video somebody watched. Yeah, so you have a lot of information there.
1: Yeah, awesome. So we are almost on the edge and we are about to go to the end. So here is your last question. So is there a relationship between dynamic systems and machine learning that is not touched upon in very much in the literature?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, Yeah, definitely there's a lot of dynamical systems and, and physics and machine learning that are not that I haven't seen that I that people talk about but I haven't really seen them that much in the literature the way physicists think about machine learning is it's actually fascinating uh, because when you think of machine learning many times the algorithm is okay it's increasing the probability of, of something hmm. right or decreasing the error function decreasing the loss function uh, when physicists look at it they, they, they look at decreasing the energy because they, they connect the error function with entropy and and with energy and somehow somehow increasing a probability is decreasing the energy because states with low energy are more likely to appear cool right and that's why again like, in physics things tend to cool down or things tend to fall like things just tend to try to go to their minimum state of energy in the same way that models drive train um and so there's there's a lot of that and every time i talk to a physicist i just try to try to pick their brain on on this and uh but but yeah i mean i think it's there's there's a lot more connections that that we think of
2: awesome i never
1: i never expected that there is a lot of correlation with this machine learning math and also the physics cool i i really got to know about this yeah amazing (laughs) thank you thank you all right so we are on the end so Thank you so much for joining us, Luis. I'll be adding about the book giveaway. So we have five free eBooks to give away to our listeners now. So who can make it till the end and also looking at the description perfectly. So you can reach me out and the position I'll be mentioning in the description. So we have five free books away giving out from Luis. Thank you so much, Luis.
0: Thank you so much for that. Thank you. Thank you. I also like to remind the the viewers that there is a code for a 40% discount. Uh, that uh, Manning editors, the editors of my book, have very kindly given to us, as well as the five uh, free eBooks. What they have to do is they go to the link that you give them for for the page, absolutely the, for the page of the book, and then the code is yeah, the code is pod exploit twenty, which you're also gonna write down. So thank you for that. Awesome. So thank you
1: so much, Louis. I'll be I'll be highly recommended to go check out the Gracking Machine Learning book, and you apply this thing if you're out of this five copies first okay <laughs> thank you so perfectly it will be it will be available for the lifetime so go check it out pod exploit 20 yes thank you so much Luis. it's really really an amazing conversation with you and thank you so much for your time i never expected that you will be in the show thank you thank you so much for this thank you Teja. it really really means a lot to me
0: thank you for having your show Teja. it's been it's been wonderful to talk to you it's been an honor and uh thank you for for your invitation